pursue the practical initially. Um, and so these broad sweeping visions around artificial intelligence and what blockchain is going to do and, and all these different technologies and how we can leverage them for social good. I think that's, I think that is great. Um, you know, um, I, I don't have any, I don't have any issue with people starting companies around that, but it, it does come for an entrepreneur. Um, we need something tangible and that's usually around who are the first 25, who are the first 50, who are the first 100 customers? How do I serve them really well? Welcome to another edition of Be The Change Georgia, where we amplify the voices of the inspiring business leaders surrounding the B Corp and social impact movements across the Southeast to help you learn how to build your legacy at the intersection of people, planet, purpose, and profit. Today, Nathan had the pleasure of sitting down with David Paparelli, the CEO of Imcultivo, a technology services company that specializes in providing coffee producers digital infrastructure to help bring coffee to market. Throughout his career, David has helped build access to market solutions for developing world agricultural producers. He spent seven years growing Thrive Farmers International, a volume direct trade specialty coffee importer in the U.S. Before that, he worked with nonprofits in East Africa and Central America on several economic development initiatives. In this episode, you'll hear discussions about market inequities around farming and the coffee supply chain, importance of becoming a B Corp and its impact on purpose, and how the next generation can think about entrepreneurship and business with a focus on purpose as much as profit. Okay, let's jump right into this episode with David Paparelli. Over to you, Nathan. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Be The Change Georgia. Today, we're joined by none other than David Paparelli. David, how are you? Doing great, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, good. To, I mean, good to finally uh, record one of these fun conversations we always have and put it out to the world. Absolutely. So let's jump right into this. Um, I know we had some laughs about this first question in our in our pre-call uh, planning session, but Wanted to ask you if you can recall your first memory of realizing your ability to influence others as a leader and wanting to use that as a force for good through entrepreneurship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I guess the joke in the pre-session was about answering this question directly sort of makes you sound like a sociopath. If you, if you, if you directed a, if, I wasn't if you're a direct man, leader but... and you're manipulating people to get them there. That's uh, not a good look. <laughs> so I guess, I guess for me, um, and and I'll try and speak from the heart here without going down that sociopath route. But um, yeah, I never, I never felt like um, I really had an innate ability to influence or lead people. For me, there were things that I I wanted to do, things that I thought were right to do, and and things that I felt needed to be done. And then um, just finding people along the way that wanted to join that journey um, was more how it worked out. There was no real intentionality around it. It was pursuing a goal or a vision and, and, then, uh, and then seeing if people would join me on that or in some cases, me joining other people um, kind of on their adventure. So um, that's, uh, that's how that um, happened. There's, there's some instances obviously in there. I mean... But uh, I always said about M. Cultivo that uh, I really hoped that someone else would actually do it because that meant that I wouldn't have to, <laughs> right? So it was something that needed to be done um, uh, in, in pursuing uh, what we are pursuing now, which I'm sure we'll get to, but, um, but no one was doing it. So we jumped in as a team and, and we tried to tackle that. Um, I do recall kind of one story 
that started my career actually going to Uganda. And, um, and, and, and this was an absolute crazy thing to do. It was working with a very, very young nonprofit in a rural area of uh, Uganda um, outside of Kampala. And, um, and I decided I was going to go. Uh, no one had gone to visit this nonprofit. They mainly worked with orphans. They did some, um, uh, some church planning and things like that. Um, but it was very, very young and there was no structure around that. And in making that decision, just started talking to people about it, what I was doing. And um, lo and behold, you know, two or three people joined on board, one of which I didn't have, know before <laughs> going on this adventure at all. Um, and they said, well, if you're doing it, I think this might be a good thing to do. And um, and so we went down. Um, some stayed for a month and some stayed for uh, for several months. It was kind of a wild, wild thing. But I think that's sort of how things have gone um, in, in these things I've pursued on my own is start on the path, take the leap, and then hopefully others will follow and, and hopefully the right people will follow. Um, so, so you can, uh, so you can get the energy and the, uh, uh, the resources you need in order to, to get there. So, um, that's how I would answer that. <laughs> so I'd say you're more a mixture of like servant leadership and like Yvonne Chouinard, the founders of Patagonia, kind of uh, reluctant businessman, reluctant entrepreneur. I, th- I think so. I'm, I'm repping, uh, Yvonne hard right yes. now. Um, but yeah, yeah, I would say definitely uh, servant leadership is what I try and do. I'd love to put people in positions where um, where they can succeed and all I have to do is support them. That's a much easier job than carrying the whole thing on your own. And then um, and then certainly reluctant businessman. I think you have to be crazy to be a social entrepreneur. Um, and so if you have any kind of practical mindset around it, um, getting out of the craziness, you need to be reluctant because you know, it is an insane thing to do. <laughs> so um, if you're not reluctant, there's probably something wrong. So maybe we're all slightly sociopathic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Something in that for sure. <laughs> so as we talk about your, your, your kind of your, your background and your why, is there anybody that comes to mind that was, that was that made a really big impact on you early on in your career? Yeah. I, I mean, there's, there's been, there's been a lot of people. Um, and, um, it's, it's a great question. You, you know, I, I, no one's really truly a self-made, um, you know, human being, right. Um, certainly not a self-made, you know, businessman or a self-made entrepreneur. Um, and, and so I think for me, um, obviously the, the, the normal ones come to mind, you know, I'd feel bad if I didn't give a shout out to my parents who have been super supportive and, uh, my mom has one of the biggest hearts of, of anyone I know, and I hope I've inherited some of that. And my dad's a super rational, practical uh, uh, business guy, and he's done that his whole career. And, and I've, I've learned a lot from him and uh, his loving approach to, um, to, to the deals that he gets into and the people that he works with. Um, and, you know, obviously my wife is, 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 in, is an incredible partner in, in life and business, and you, you can't be an entrepreneur if you don't have a supportive wife and family. It's, it's just, it's really, really difficult <laughs> to walk that path without, uh, with a battle at home and a battle at, at, at work. So, um, so she's been incredible, um, through this whole thing. I would say two people outside of that though. Um, Melanie Robb is a co-founder of M Cultivo and she's been on since the beginning. Um, and, um, having a co-founder and having that sort of support, um, and someone who has such a, a focus on impact and the scalability of impact as she does, um, has kind of internalized this and integrated this kind of social aspect of our business um, into our day-to-day operations and, and execution of um, 
you know, these, these deals that we've fallen into or been lucky enough to fall into. And so she's been incredible. And then there's a guy named uh, Mike Morris, who's in the Be Local community. Um, and he, um, uh, he started a consulting firm called Broad Green Solutions. Uh, I don't know, that was probably five, six, maybe seven years ago, um, very early on B Corp in, in Georgia uh, for, for what he was doing. And um, he's been a good friend and mentor um, along the way. I mean, he's, um, you know, he obviously has a, a focus on social, but he, he again, he has an incredible, uh, incredibly practical, honest approach to business and, and making things uh, scalable and sustainable and, and, and working through that. And so he's, he's, uh, he led the way in some ways, uh, in some ways for me and kind of encouraging me to become um, uh, a B Corp and just kind of honestly just copying and ripping off some of the things and principles that he implied in his business. So it's been good just talking to him along the way and, and getting his feedback on things. But uh, <laughs> so those are a few. <laughs> Mike Morris. It's funny. I, I use his uh, master service agreement, his sample SOW. When I was launching my business, Mike, I reached out and he gave me the whole playbook and, uh, and a quick side story. So he was on Jeff Bond, who produces CEO chat with leaders media who produces this podcast when he was just kind of podcasting for fun he had mike morris on i heard the episode saw it in mike's linkedin i said i want to be on that podcast i was just starting out trying to kind of build my voice so mike connected me with jeff jeff and i had such a blast recording we started this podcast as like a little fun side project so it all comes full circle to mike morris so i'm um, that's kind Heck of of a thread yeah just an awesome human being so uh, what were we talking about? Mike Morris. Um, no, I'm, and I, and I, and I'm glad you, you talked about your co-founder and, and kind of also working and with your wife, um, on M Cultivo, like talk, take us through the founder story. How did this happen? How did you kind of walk us through kind of, I don't know, the transition from previous B Corp to I'm going to do this. I see a need and, uh, let's build something awesome. Yeah. Well, I started, as I kind of alluded to before, I started my career in um, um, nonprofits in East Africa. <laughs> so I started in Uganda. Um, and and then I moved to uh, to Nicaragua and spent a couple of years there working in economic development and uh, working in kind of developing world um, agric agricultural environments. Agriculture is is one of the most valuable assets in those areas. You know, uh, you have to look at the skill sets and the resources of the people, and then you can build uh, businesses based on that um, as a starting point, a foundation. And so agriculture obviously has a huge thread in East Africa and Central America. And um, so I really learned, um, learned a lot there about kind of empathizing with challenges, just being on the ground, um, and, um, and then how to build supply chains at a ground level, uh, and just seeing kind of uh, an inequitable supply chain formed on in almost every agricultural product, um, right? Because uh, the the goal in most of these supply chains is to buy low and sell high, right? And so uh, the person at the bottom of the chain is bought at the lowest, which is not good because it's uh, incredibly expensive, uh, time consuming, labor intensive to to grow things that we uh, that we consume, right? And so. I started there and, and, and started looking at other options or other opportunities and kind of stumbled into coffee with a company called uh, Thrive Farmers. Um, and so I worked with them uh, for, for seven years. And, and the goal there was to build out these direct trade supply chains, uh, but really at scale, at volume. So uh, the coffee that you'd get from kind of your local coffee shop, that has got a great story and a great face to it um, and high quality. 
um, you know, that might be a small amount of coffee. And, and, and we were trying to do it with container loads. And so we worked with companies like Chick-fil-A and Smoothie King and Jamba Juice to, to build out their, uh, their coffee focused supply chains in a way that would have um, disproportionate impact uh, on, on farmers all over the world, um, coffee farmers all over the world specifically. So from there, um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to go to London and, and get an executive master's. And my goal in doing that was I felt that there was something, you know, I'd been in and around social business, you know, uh, my entire career without probably even calling it kind of social business or social entrepreneurship. Um, it just was what we were doing. Right. And um, I felt that there was something more to that. Um, and so I wanted to take a step back and, and, and study exactly what was going on. In these different areas is there something to the social business social entrepreneurship route or is it essentially just business and people are just doing more of the right thing right um and and so i went to london school of economics uh, at, in a program there um and got my executive masters in that social business focus and that's where uh, we took on the initial project of what became m cultivo and it was something really simple to begin with right um I had a networking coffee. Um, you know, Melanie had a had a had a heart and a knowledge around uh, building startups and um, integrating impact initiatives. And um, we conducted a hundred a hundred or so interviews uh, with stakeholders in the coffee supply chain, um, just trying to identify what the problems were. Uh, you know, we didn't come with a solution. We came with just a bunch of probably stupid questions, <laughs> right? And that's where we started. And so from there, after those. A uh, hundred or so, um, hundred or so interviews. Um, we realized that there was this huge, huge gap. Um, first and foremost, of something that should be relatively inexpensive, which is information. You know, uh, people at the top of the supply chain had a ton of information, and they used that to leverage in negotiations. And people at the bottom had very little, and and there was kind of this gray area and obscurity in between. Um, and so we said, well, what the heck, is there anything we could do about this? We don't know if we can make money about it on it, but what if we just started sending out SMS text messages to coffee farmers with, you know, pertinent price information and things like that? I don't know if that could be a business or not, but it started as something as simple as that. And so that's where we, uh, we launched and evolved from there. Wow. Um, I didn't, I didn't even know that whole backstory. That was fun. Um, I remember when you called me and said you're starting something and you want it to be a B Corp, but I didn't know that it started basically as a grad school project. So that's awesome. Um, and, and you touched on inequities and, and some of the how that lack of information leads to these you know, inequitable outcomes for the farmers, the people really doing the majority of the work. Um, what do you wish people understood about those inequities and, and especially around, you know, the coffee supply chain? Yeah, I think uh, so for 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 us and the more we've learned about, you know, coffee farmers, their situation and then other stakeholders in the supply chain. I think a good starting point for people is just understanding or having some level of understanding of how much work goes into putting food, um, you know, food, beverages. I mean, in this instance, coffee uh, on your kitchen table. Right. I mean, this stuff is uh, coffee at its core is. uh <laughs> It's grown on a tree in a country far, far away from most of us, right? So it's grown in places like Central America and South America and East Africa and Indonesia. And, um, and it's grown by, um, you know, millions and millions of people. Um, and, and that coffee has to be picked as a fruit off of a tree and then it has to be processed. And, and the seed actually is what gets 
uh, exported. The pulp gets exported. Sorry, the um, the seed gets exported and then it gets roasted, basically turned brown, and that's what ends up in a coffee bag that you grind and then you brew. Right. Um, that is a enormously um, enormously long supply chain and nuanced process. And 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 I think if we can get a better understanding of the complexity of that and 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 an appreciation for it. Um, that's, I, I think that's the first step. The next is, it is absolutely um, incredible what these coffee farmers and coffee producers around the world um, are doing to manage really, really complicated operations, right? So they're harvesting this coffee, they're, they're processing it, they're exporting it. Um, you know, they need capital, they need logistics support, they need technology support, they need all these things to compete in this globally competitive business, right? Um, which it, it would, frankly, it is. And, um, and right now, many of them um, have lack of access to capital, you know, they don't have competitive banking rates. I mean, we're talking about rates that are anywhere between 15 to 30% annualized. Um, they operate on pen and paper systems. So they're processing in some instances, we work with a producer in Burundi, that's processing over 100,000 transactions on pen and paper on an annual basis, um, which is um, just untenable. Um, they don't have tech, you know, so, so lack of access to technology in that. And then because of the distance and the length of the supply chain, there's always these barriers to entry in these, these markets. So how do you even sell the coffee? How do you meet the buyers? They live in other countries. They speak different languages. They're in different cultures. And so I think there, the, in, in appreciation of producing that product, there also needs to be an appreciation for the folks at the bottom of the supply chain that are often just left out of the picture, um, they're, they're underserved effectively. And so that's, that's what we're trying to fill. We're trying to step into that gap. And what, if I, if I was to take a look, like I'm in your office, you've got the whiteboard, you and Melanie are sitting around the, uh, the conference table. What, what opportunities are there? What challenges are there? Like, how do you measure success over the next couple of years? I mean, our, our focus is, uh, fairly simple at this point. Um, we're looking to build a community of producers that we can partner with um, to strengthen their businesses. So really bring them into this globally uh, competitive environment, um, make them realize the information they need. But we do that in a few ways. We deploy technology, we deploy capital um, uh, to help them access new markets. Um, and that's our primary um, initiative. And so when I look out, you know, the next few years, um, what I would like to see from us is that we have a, we have you know, a hundred uh, strong coffee producing partnerships that represents roughly a hundred thousand farmers that are bringing coffee and aggregating coffee around those partnerships. Um, and so, you know, that, that brings it into a tangible element for us where we don't need, you know, a million coffee partners. We need a hundred uh, coffee producers that, that are aggregating uh, coffee fruit and exporting it. And if we partner with them and we do well in serving them with our technology products, um, serving them with, um, with, with new access to capital and then bringing them into new buying networks. We believe that we can, you know, raise the, uh, you know, we can impact and, and change the entire coffee industry for the better. Um, at least those hundred, hundred producers lives and those communities built around those producers. So, um, that's what, that's what we're looking at for, uh, 2023 and beyond is, um, how do we kind of distill our mission down from this big, crazy, theoretical, visionary approach to changing the coffee industry and just really focus on serving 100 people? Uh, you know, in this next year, can we get start serving 25 um, and do that really well? And the following year, can we do 75 total? You know, that kind of thing. And so um, uh, I think that's where it all begins. Uh, and so that's that's what's on our whiteboard right now is is just uh, names of these producers and, and, and what we can 
do better to serve them well. That's fantastic. And I love, I love the approach of, you know, we talk about, especially in the B Corp movement, you know, we talk about progress um, and starting with 25, you know, I can't save everybody right now, but I can start with 25 and then I can go to 75 and then I can build off of that. It's just um, an incredible, I don't know, leadership philosophy too, um, of how to kind of make an impact. So as we, tr- as we talk about the B Corp, um, cause of course, Nathan's going to talk about B Corp and it is be the change Georgia. Uh, it's the name of the podcast presented by be local Georgia. So, um, well, first of all, welcome to the community. Welcome back. I should say, since you were at thrive before another B Corp, we've had Mike Menina on as well. Um, talk about thrive works and all the cool work they're doing. Um, what was it about, you know, when you started, and, and again, full disclosure, you called me early on and I, I think I had just launched my business, maybe like <laughs> it was pretty early. I don't actually, I don't even know if I had launched yet. Um, and you guys were like, you and Amanda called and said, Hey, you know, we're going to do this thing and we want to be a B Corp and let's get started. And how do we do this? And uh, what was it? Like, what drove you? You know, I mean, most people, cause it's, it's most people go, well, I'm early on in my entrepreneurship stage and my journey. And like, hey, this is too much. And I'll, I'll, let me get some revenue coming in. I'll do that later. But you guys from the onset, before you had revenue, before you really even had proof of concept, you were determined to get B Corp certification as well and to start building that into the foundation of the business. So walk us through kind of that decision um, outside of your, well, or maybe including your previous experience and why that mattered. Yeah, we were, um, uh, we were certainly overly optimistic that our model was the perfect model, right? You know, but, you know, open iterate. <laughs> so <laughs> why not get B Corp right out, right out of the gate? And I'm glad we did, honestly. Um, and, uh, and reflecting on kind of your first question, um, got to apologize because obviously Nathan was the biggest influence on our uh, <laughs> was the biggest influence on our entrepreneurial journey to get to this point. But uh, but no, you 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 honestly helped us a lot in that area. I think um, uh, you know I knew it was going to be a, a lengthy process. I also knew that it was going to be easier to do uh, at the outset of the business and kind of five to ten years down the road. Um, uh, part, part of that came from the experience at Thrive and, and being a B Corp there and just knowing kind of um, the foundational documents you need in place. And if you have a bunch of shareholders and a bunch of investors and a bunch of other team members on board, um, it just as more people join you in your mission, it becomes more and more difficult to make, um, you know, make uh, clean decisions. Right. Um, and so. We, we wanted to do it from the outset. It did take a long time, so I'm glad we did. I think it took us two years total um, just uh, because there are so many companies applying to B Corp that they're overwhelmed with the process. So we'd get our paperwork in, we'd, we'd wait for a little bit, we'd get more paperwork in and, and kind of keep that process going. Um, so, so one reason was just the practical element of it's going to be a lot easier to do that. If we want to do this, it's going to be a lot easier to do this now than it is to do it later. And we're going to be grateful if we come, you know, two years down the road and we have this versus being a five-year-old company and then having to, you know, be a 10-year-old company or survive to become a 10-year-old company before we got B Corp. But, uh, you know, I, I, I appreciate B Corp and I want to take that step simply because it's a turnkey framework um, just to give you some of these, you know, key performance indicators around impact. Um, and um, it asks good questions. Um, it helps uh, when you're building a business, it helps establish and get you thinking about things that uh, may be 
not even best practices, but good practices to adopt, right? And so, you know, they, it targets some key areas in there. Um, it is generalized. And so we have uh, impact reporting and other metrics on top of that, that, that Melanie's done an amazing job in putting together. Um, and so, you know, those are more coffee and developing world focused uh, questions. But uh, B Corp is a good starting point. I think the other advantage to it uh, from, from our view was how do we, you know, is there a, a very quick and concise way for us to not just tell people we're doing good, but have kind of a third party validation around us doing good? I mean, everybody at this point um, in business is going to say they're doing good things. Everyone from, you know, Coca-Cola to Patagonia to Allbirds to, to whoever, everybody's got a social mission or a social bent, right? Um, well, well, B Corp is a, is, a, is a good and handy way to say, we're not just saying we're doing things good. Other people are saying we're doing good things and we're abiding by these you know, uh, these, these metrics or these evaluation and measurement tools to make sure that we don't drift off mission or drift off course in terms of us doing good things. And so instilling that and making that automatic and habitual, um, in our business has, uh, um, has been a great guide for us. Um, just, as I said, a very easy turnkey solution to, um, uh, to the very hard problem of, of measuring and reporting on impact. I love that you said that too. The the piece almost breaking through where everybody has a commitment to everything now, um, and it's it's gotten to the point where it's 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 hard to trust any statement without anything behind. It. You know, I don't know if it's the marketing team putting lipstick on a pig or you really are changing the world. It's it's that certification, and again, it, it, it in a weird way, it shouldn't be necessary, but it's becoming a way to kind of say like, okay, I don't even have to think, I don't have to like read through your annual impact report. I see the B Corp logo. I get it. Um, which is why there's a, you know, like a two year queue to get through the certification process. Yes. So is your, is, you know, everything you just touched on you know, if, if you're looking at the next generation of leaders, how can they be thinking about entrepreneurship and business in a way that creates impact at that intersection of, of purpose and profit and that, that shift we're seeing? I always say the demand curve is shifting. People are demanding more purpose um, along with the profit, obviously, no margin, no mission. But what are some practical things that you know an entrepreneur can start doing today? Yeah, I, I mean, I love that word practical. Um, and, um, you know, especially with this, uh, you know, FTX thing blowing up and, and kind of these, these threats to, uh, threats to, you know, this, this movement around social entrepreneurship and, uh, you know, uh, with a lot of these, these, these corporate companies, we had these ideas of greenwashing, right. And that was fairly prevalent of how, okay, this is, you know, recognized by, by most people, I would say is greenwashing, but we'll let them do it because they seem like good things. But now it's, now it's kind of that, that toxicity seems to be seeping its way into social entrepreneurs and social startups, right? Where it's not greenwashing at that point, it's, it's more classified almost as a pyramid scheme or as a con man. Um, and, and we, we desperately need to avoid that. And I think the way, one way to do that is, you have to you have to pursue the practical initially, um, and so these broad sweeping visions around artificial intelligence and what blockchain is going to do, and and all these different technologies and how we can leverage them for social good. I think that's I think that is great. Um, you know, um, I I don't have any I don't have any issue with people starting companies around that, but 
it, it does come for an entrepreneur. Um, you need something tangible. And that's usually around who are the first 25, who are the first 50, who are the first 100 customers? And how do I serve them really well? Um, and how do I make the right decisions around my business? So while I'm serving them, I'm not having a negative impact. That's a good place to start. Um, is just, uh, is, is maybe, you know, in your business model canvas, look at what are the consequences of this actions and think through that. <laughs> and, and so at the very least, you're at a net neutral, <laughs> you're not having negative impact, maybe you're not having positive impact, and then work from there. Because if you're serving people, and you're, you're able to have a viable business, which is a borderline miracle in itself, um, uh, you, you can strive for the positive impact in that. So I would start there with a hyper practical approach. So what's the problem you're solving? Um, who are the customers you're serving? Um, and try and keep it from being, you know, you know, we're going to go serve 12.5 million coffee farmers right out of the gate, uh, because that's uh, that's that's not ultimately um, where we've found impact as M. Cultiva or where I've found impact. I found impact in the specific relationships I have, right? The relationship I have with Nathan, the relationships we have with our, um, you know, our producing partners that we work with um, and, and, and just working through those relationships, working with them well and making good decisions on a daily basis that, you know, honestly, um, uh, doesn't, doesn't screw them or do something shysty or create a pyramid scheme or, you know, all these things that we could be tempted to do as, as, as entrepreneurs. So, um, I would start there on the practical bit. And then I think, you know, the, the advice I generally give, give people who are thinking about starting something is fairly simple. It's, you just have to start. <laughs> I mean, um, you really, it's, it's really about just, uh, you know, there's, there's the, especially for me, it, there's this, um, this tendency to think through all the hypothetical situations, all the scenarios and kind of spin the vision out of control and make it this really macro thing and get to the theory of it. And then you get to the end of the day and, and you beat up the idea and, and, and you never did anything. Well, the reality is, is most of your learnings are going to are going to come along the way. Um, you're not going to be able to kind of uh, game the whole thing out or plan the whole business out five years down the road. I mean, five year visions still exist for people, and it might be a good exercise. But really, the practicality comes on: what am I going to do the next six months? What I'm going to do the next two years? Maybe. Um, but more importantly, as an entrepreneur, it becomes what's going to kill me today? <laughs> so what's going to destroy my business today? And you'll never get to that question if you don't just start, start working. Other people will come along um, if it's a good idea and it's working. Other resources will come along and crowd in if it's a good idea and it's working and, and you're going to learn a lot. And that should be the, uh, the expectation is just to learn as much as you possibly can while you get things moving. Yeah, no, perfectly said. Don't let, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. Just start. Absolutely. So, and I love that you, I just, just dispelled the myth too. So like you're a social enterprise out to change the lives of these farmers and you're still a for-profit business. Um, you're just going to take care of your stakeholders, including your customers and the people you serve. I love that. Brilliant. Novel concept. <laughs> it's it is crazy it is crazy it's good to see a lot more people adopting it <laughs> yeah no and i'm and I'm, i was so thrilled when you guys finally got certified just to come full circle all the way from first meeting you when you were at thrive to seeing you move across the the ocean away from us and and then come back and say i'm starting this cool thing and i've got this idea and then to see it actually take off and get certified and get customers and um, come to life has been, uh, it's been fun to watch your journey. So I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing it with us. 
Yeah, no, I'm happy to do it. And yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's always good just to to have an excuse to catch up with you. And David, real quick, uh, if people wanted to follow you, where might they find you on the interwebs? Yeah, so the company's name is M. Coltivo. Um, so that's uh, uh, mcoltivo.coffee would be our Instagram, mcoltivo.com, our website. You can find us on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, if you're a coffee roaster or a coffee buyer, you can go to mcoltivo.com and participate in our auctions. We do live auctions uh, uh, regularly uh, for, for purchasing green coffee. And if you're a coffee producer, feel free to reach out to us via our website. Um, all the uh, all the information's on our contact page. And if you're just an entrepreneur and, and want to chit chat about some of the things we've had today, I'm happy to always have conversations and, and meet new people. So uh, feel free to reach out. And you're on LinkedIn? I am on LinkedIn. I'm on everything, unfortunately. I don't want to be on everything, but I am on everything. So it's a part of it. <laughs> just quit Facebook, run away. It's okay. Yeah, that's it. So David Paparelli, I'm sure I'll be in the title. Uh, uh, there's not many Paparellis out there, so I'll come up quick. Yeah. Awesome. We'll put all these links in the show notes so you can find them all. So appreciate it, David. Well, thanks again, and I uh, look forward to following your journey. Well, that wraps up another edition of Be The Change Georgia. We're grateful, as always, for the opportunity to serve you with this content and grow this incredible community of purpose-driven B Corp leaders. If you haven't already, we would be grateful for you to rate the show wherever you get your podcast by simply tapping the number of stars you think it deserves and sharing it with a friend. This helps us get the word out and continue to use our collective influence as a force for good. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help from our production team at Chat With Leaders Media. Learn how you can launch your own podcast to grow your business at chatwithleaders.com. Thanks again for listening, and now go be a leader worth following.